0: Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard Podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at I Want you to think back to where you to when you were joined in matrimony. Maybe you stood under an arch, maybe you stood on a stage, maybe you stood under a tree in a backyard, or maybe it was in a courthouse, maybe you had a shotgun wedding with a bad Elvis impersonator. But I want you to think back, picture it in your mind's eye, what was it like? Guys, remember the first time you saw her come down the aisle? I want you to get a very clear image of that. I got a picture of our wedding day. We will have been 25 years this month. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking there. Actually, I know exactly what I was thinking there. Uh, my wife was nine when I married her. And um, no one stands before their friends and family repeating the vows that you've just heard. I mean, if anybody ever wants to, then you need to run, right? Um, instead, we say things like, Till death do us part, and from this day forward, and now and forever. Well, we are on week number four of our series called Hooked, The Lies We Believe. And we've been exploring the lies that deceive us and the lies that distort truth and the lies that shackle us and keep us from stepping into being the people that God has called us to be. Now, there's far too much to cover from the last three weeks, so you can listen to them on our website, revealvineyard.com or on our podcast. But today we're going to look at a relationship lie Uh, that if you've been in any type of relationship for any amount of time, if we're honest, you've either said it, you've either thought it, or maybe you acted upon it. And the lie that's going to push us forward in this message today is the majority of our marital problems are my spouse's fault. That's pretty good. Let's close in prayer. So the idea is if they would just change... If, if, if they would stop doing this and maybe start doing that, if they would change their attitude or change their thinking or change the way that they approach life or change the way that they approach work, if they would change, then we could be happily ever after. Now, our topic is going to lean towards marriage, but if you're not married, I promise you, you will learn something here because what we're going to talk about today applies to any and every relationship that you could be in whether it's romantic or just a friendship or a coworker or a boss or a neighbor uh, we've all had problems in a relationship and we've all felt at some point that the majority of the problems that we're having in this relationship are your fault right we've all said it every relationship will go through stages even our relationship your pa- your relationship with me as your pastor Uh, we'll go through relationships, and I'll I'll go through them. This is true for all of them, but I'll apply it to us. The first is a honeymoon stage, right? This is when you come into the church, and I hear things like, we just love you. You are fantastic. You make us laugh, and you're so funny, and you're down to earth, and we just love you. And if you stick around for any amount of time, then you're going to enter into stage two, which I call the aha moment, where you're going to realize that I'm not as great as you thought I was. Some of you are having an aha moment right now. You're thinking, I can't believe they did that fake wedding. And some of that stuff they did, this is not our church. You're having an aha moment right now. Go with that, all right? Because I don't want to offend you in the future. So the next stage, you know, that's that's when you start to see there's something off. The next stage is the challenge stage. That is when all of the little things in the relationship begin to build up. And you realize that in order for the relationship to work, in order for maybe you to stay at this church, in order uh, for for us to kind of be in this relationship, it's going to take work because I'm not perfect and it's going to take some communication. It's going to take some work. Around the challenge stage is the crossroad stage. And this is where you're asking yourself the question, am I going to stick with Marty or am I going to that new younger pastor down the street? Because he's so funny, right? It really does happen. And this is where you're at a crossroad in any relationship. Am I going to work this out or do I cut and run? Now, if you work it out, the last stage is a rebirth where there's a deeper understanding, a mutual understanding. There's a greater appreciation and a greater love for one another. And these stages will happen time and time again within the same relationship. You'll get to a point of where there's a rebirth and then you know there may be a period where you're on a second honeymoon, so to speak and then you're going to have another aha moment where you're going to realize there's something about that person I didn't realize, and there's going to be new challenges and another crossroad, and if you stick it out, there will be a new rebirth, and this is kind of the cycle of relationships and and how they go. So today, I want us to explore the lies that we believe about marriage. So join me as we pray, and we've got a lot to cover, and we're going to jump in. Lord, speak to us uh, very clearly today. We ask that your truth would overcome any lies or any deception and that we would be open to hearing from you, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us towards truth, help us spit the hook of any lie that we're buying into. Pray that you would strengthen every relationship in this room. I pray that you would speak truth over that relationship. I pray that uh, you would lead us moving forward, mold us into the people that you want us to be. Lord, for the offering that we would continue to represent you well, locally and internationally. So we invite you, Holy Spirit of God, speak to us through your truth, through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you don't know me, I'm rather cheap and I like to buy my clothing off the discount rack And that means that you can get 70% off on clothing. Uh, But there's a few things that you have to realize. First, that uh, on a discount rack, you're probably not getting current fashions. You're getting fashions from a year or two back. If you have an issue with that, discount racks probably aren't your thing. The other thing is that you have to be willing to hunt and search because long racks of clothing usually missized and you have to go through everything. And the last thing is that you have to be careful what you purchase. Because the reason that often that you're getting such a great deal is that there's something about that clothing that makes it slightly irregular. This means that while the shirt may be completely wearable, it's not 100% right. Could be a spot, could be a mark, could be a blemish on the fabric, could be a, a button misplaced, it could be seams that don't line up. I had a pair of jeans once got off the discount rack. No matter how hard I tried, the button would not center on my body. And it always turned just about two inches. It drove me crazy. So it's one of those. They they look good, and as long as the shirt is hanging over, you would never know. It looks normal, but it's slightly irregular. Still usable, but something's not quite right. Now the discount rack doesn't apply only to clothing. Furniture stores have their version of it. They call it the scratch and dent section. Years ago, we went into Pruitts and we found this little uh, table in the scratch and dent section, sixty percent off. We looked it over. It looked immaculate. It looked brand new. I thought they made a mistake, so we didn't ask any questions. Paid for it. Loaded it up in our van. Out The whole way home, I'm thinking, we just got the sale of a century. Got it into our home. Opened up the two outside drawers. Perfect. And then we tried the middle drawer. And it took three men and a team of oxen to open it. It was, it was like warped, welded shut. It looked perfect. It looked good. But although it looked good, there was something that wasn't quite Write about it. See, and that's the interesting thing about being slightly irregular. You may not see the flaw at first, but if you wear it long enough, if you're around it long enough, eventually you see. We're building a metaphor, by the way, if you don't know, talking about relationships. Eventually you will find it. See, here's the thing that you probably didn't know going into your marriage or business relationship, whatever. Here's what you didn't know going into your marriage you got your spouse off the discount rack. And you didn't know it going into it, but there's just something not quite right. See, dare I say that your spouse, your neighbor, your sibling, your boss is not quite normal. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, finally, someone's saying what I've been saying for years, right? So something is off. Something's not normal. John Ortberg has a book that says, everybody's healthy until you get to know them. Or I'm sorry, everybody's normal until you get to know them. And it's true, everyone seems normal, but the longer you're around them, you realize they're not quite normal, right? Ask my wife about me, and here's what she would say. He looks normal. He presents himself as normal to you on Sunday, but he's slightly irregular. And my wife, the same thing. She looks normal, holds down a job like she's normal, but she is significantly irregular. Oh, did I say significant? I'm slightly irregular. I get those words mixed up just a little bit. See, I'm willing to bet that today there's somebody in your life right now and you're picturing them, and on the outside they look normal, but on the inside they're not normal. You ever have a boss that you went into and they seemed normal and great during the interview in the first month, they were fantastic, and then all of a sudden, month two, bam, like they're on the crazy train, Right? You didn't see it at first, but the longer you're around them, you begin to see they are slightly irregular. If you've been on a date before where the first date, man, this person's wonderful. The second date, they are so sweet. The third day, this might be the one. And on the fourth date, it's shark week, right? <laughs> Fangs come out, and you're like, what? what happened? Because everyone is slightly irregular. Now, here's our challenge. Listen, we enter into a marriage relationship, or any relationship for that matter, thinking that he or she is normal. We enter into marriage thinking, my partner, my spouse, is normal. Now, we think that, of course, especially in dating, because in dating, we're enamored with the package. And the package looks good, right? It's neatly wrapped, and it's tight, and everything is in its place, and it's freshly painted, and it sparkles, and the package looks good. The problem is, is that we're really not marrying the package or the box. We're actually marrying the jack who's inside the box and the jackie who's inside the box. Now that presents a problem because once, once the, the box handle starts to get cranked, you're going to discover rather quickly who's actually inside of the box and nothing cranks a handle like marriage. right? You're married and somebody's going to say something like, uh, uh, why did you come home again without calling me? Right? And then they're going to say, hey, why is it such a big deal that I want to go out with my friends and you're always yelling at me? Uh, 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 are you watching football again? Hey, by the way, what's wrong with your mama? Right? And out, out comes this, this ugly Jackie or this ugly Jack that you didn't know was in there. The first time I saw Jackie come out of the box was six months into our marriage when a TV remote was flying across the room at my head, right? This cute little hundred pound girl that I married, all of a sudden this voice came out of her. and said, get out. And I wasn't sure where it came from, but the remote control was flying at my head. First, first I saw that the Jackie in that box might be just a little off, right? The first time she saw Jack come out of the box was the first day that we got back after our honeymoon, and I'm walking around the house, turning on every light in the house, and checking the doors about 10 times, and then I locked ourselves inside of our bedroom. Now, my poor wife had to be thinking, what the heck's about to happen now, right? (laughs) And as I say it, it sounds crazy, but I'm a little slightly irregular, right? And so she began to realize, this guy's... There's something off about him and I'm realizing she's not perfect as I once thought. See, when we do marriage counseling and one of the questions is, um, uh, my spouse holds every quality uh, that uh, I could ever want in a mate and questions like, uh, I will never find out anything about my spouse that disappoints me. And when people say, I strongly agree, I'm like, just give it time. That's normal, right? doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It just means you are in the beginning honeymoon stages of this relationship, but you give it enough time, you're going to find out your spouse is slightly irregular. This means that, that, that something happens in a relationship. First, it doesn't matter what your story is. Chances are on your wedding day, you didn't see it, but now you've come to realize that your spouse is slightly irregular. But if you want to have a successful relationship, a successful marriage, really successful any relationship, you need to understand this truth, that not only is your spouse slightly irregular, but you are slightly irregular as well. This means something significant happened on your wedding day. Two, listen, two slightly irregular people came together in matrimony, and they created one substantially irregular couple that's the truth, right? Two slightly irregular people came together, created one substantially irregular couple because more than rings were exchanged on your wedding day. Quirks and hang ups and blemishes and missing buttons and zippers that don't zip and stitching that you think should zag and they make it zig and just all of these things. And now we're faced with this dilemma of how do we bring a lifetime of blemishes and turn it into a lifetime of bliss? And it's not an easy challenge. Here's one way that we can start. Here's something, hopefully, you can grasp onto this. Understand that normal is a moving scale. So, do you know how we define normal? I'm normal, and you're all crazy, right? It's easy for me to feel that I'm normal. Here's why because I've experienced normal my entire life. How I respond to people, when I get angry, uh, 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 how I act. Uh, the things that have happened to me. It's all that I know. And so because it's all that I've ever known, it's normal to me. And now I get married and I'm looking at them thinking, you're crazy. And if you could just become more like me, normal, our relationship could be perfect. And we've all thought it. We've all tried to change a spouse to become more like me because I'm normal, but the reason you think you're normal is because you've lived with yourself for the last 25-plus years entering into marriage, and it's all you know, so it feels completely normal. And what happens in a relationship, suddenly you realize that one of us aren't normal, and the reality of it is both of us are not completely normal. So this is where this leads. And some of the, this will resonate with some of you. It leads to a never-ending quest to change my spouse to be like me because I'm normal. And as long as you hold your spouse to your definition of normal, your relationship will be caught up in an endless cycle of disappointment because you will constantly look at them and say, the majority of our marital problems are your fault because you're not normal, I am. And if you could just change blank to be more like me, we could be happy. And it's just not true. Because there's something that comes from within all of us. Look at Jeremiah seventeen, nine. It says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Now I said that you're slightly irregular. The Bible puts it a little bit more harshly. It says you're sick, man. It says there's something wrong with all of us. What it's telling us is that the reason we're slightly irregular isn't because of something we did, but because of something we are. And the Bible says that we all live in this fallen state that's called sin that has affected every part of of who we are. Every part of creation, really. That sin has affected every part of our lives and every part of creation. Romans tells us that sin uh, has darkened the heart. And 1 Timothy tells us that sin has corrupted my mind. And John 8 says that sin can become, I can become a slave to sin. And James 1 says that sin leads us down a road of destruction. And so now we take this heart that is sick and that is polluted and we give it to the person that we love most in this world and they take a heart that is sick and polluted and say, here's my heart right back to you. And eventually we realize there's something wrong with this heart, the Bible says, look, it's not just—it's nothing that even you've done. It's just because of who we are. Sin has permeated all of our beings. And you don't need that to, to, to be a, a theologian to understand that my bent is towards my own selfishness. That's a result of sin. That if push comes to sub and something isn't influencing me, I will choose what's best for me over what's best for you every time. Because our beings have been darkened. We've been become internally focused. And so we come into the most important relationship in our entire lives with a heart that is polluted, jaded, and rather cynical. And we call it baggage, and we all have it. Maybe mom couldn't be there because she was working two jobs. Or dad was in and out, more out than he was in. Or screaming was normal around your house. Or the younger brother, he got all of the attention. Or maybe there was alcohol abuse. Or or maybe your first marriage failed. Or a boyfriend said he loved you and got what he wanted and took off. Or parents that you could never please. Or religious pressure placed upon you to be perfect. And over years and years, we've all picked up baggage and nobody saw it. But we come to the altar and we are piled with baggage and we got smiles on, and we look great on the outside, but on the inside, there's something that's off. And then we enter into a relationship, and suddenly, I can find everything that's off about you, and our problems are your fault. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. This is Mr. and Mrs. Mug. Mr. and Mrs. Mug, they met each other years ago, and there was an instant spark. I mean, why wouldn't they be? I mean, look at her eyes and those red lips, and she has that one ponytail. I used to love a single ponytail. I used to tell my wife all the time, just wear the one ponytail. I don't know why. I was, that, that was my thing. And they had instant spark, and they were careful at the beginning, and he was trying to impress her, and she was trying to reel him in, and so they were on their best behavior. And they allowed each other to see the box, and the box looked good. She's beautiful. He's out of college. New job, new car, good future. They have things in common. And one day, they stand under the arch, and they're joined in marriage. And things started off great, but eventually, things started to change. And they begin to argue a little bit, and he has his opinion, and she has her opinion, and nobody's bunding. And then suddenly, the, the, the arguments escalate into fights and shouting matches. And then one of the days, it just gets too, too ugly, and, and they, they bump. And she takes a step back and she says, uh, uh, I didn't know that was in you. And all of this ugly stuff comes out. And, and a month later, it happens again and, and they get into an argument and it escalates a little bit more. And, and once again, things start getting out of hand and they step out of the bounds of what's healthy arguing. And then it's a fight and they bump. And all of this stuff comes out. And she's left saying, I didn't know you had an anger problem. And he says, I didn't have an anger problem until I met you. And he says, I didn't know your tongue was so sharp. And she said, my tongue wasn't sharp until I met you. And suddenly they begin to to, to think through this. And she gets upset. And she goes to her mother, who looks like this. And she goes to her mother's house. And (laughs) And so the mother's there. And the mother says, I can't believe he said that. And the guy is like, well, he goes to the sports bar and he's talking to a bottle and a big pizza and 40 wings and the pizza's like, I can't believe she said that. And so both start to think, she drives me crazy and she's thinking, he drives me crazy, he has issues and she, he's thinking, she has issues. And slowly, slowly over time, the problems in their marriage start to become into focus and perfect focus. Then all of a sudden they realize, the problems in my marriage is you. Mr. Mug's saying, the problem in my marriage is you. And because because Mr. Mug thinks the only reason the beads come out is because she keeps bumping him. And Mrs. Mug's thinking the only reason the beads are coming out is because he keeps pushing my buttons. But the reality of it is, the reason the beads come out is because they were there to start with. And nothing bumps you more than living with someone for 24 hours a day for X amount of years. And so we have all this stuff that is inside of us that is unhealthy and ugly. And we don't know until we're bumped. Could be road rage, could be a boss that drives you nuts. But however it is, you're bumped. Something comes out of you and you may have not even known it was in there. And then you're left asking questions. And for most of us, Marital problems. We get hooked on this lie that the majority of my problems, our problems, are my spouse's fault. And if she could just change, this wouldn't come out anymore. And we get hooked on it. See, it's not what we want to hear. We don't want to look within. (coughs) Excuse me. We don't want to look within because what we find will mean hard work. And it will mean submitting to Christ and repentance and forgiveness and dealing with our past and that's painful. So instead, I'll monitor your behavior and I'll pick apart I'll pick apart you for making me spill my beads. Because that part I can do. And this is the dilemma that we find ourselves in time and time again. We are all slightly irregular. The Bible says we're all sick, but we cannot let those irregularities slowly erode our marriage and this means that while your spouse cannot change you it doesn't mean I don't need to change I don't know where we came up with this idea that you should never have to change for your spouse I I don't know you know where where we come up with that matter of fact try this try this the next time when you go into work tomorrow and your boss asks you to do something different just say I should not have to change for you I know you want me in at 8 o'clock, but I like to get in at 8.15. You can't ask me to change. <laughs> Try this. Go to your professor and say, I know you wanted 15 pages, but I only wrote seven. You can't ask me to change. And what other relationship would that work? Zero. And then we come into marriage and we're like, you shouldn't ask me to change. Why? If there's something sick within us, and there is, we should want to be becoming better people and something that should change within us. See, what I've found is I've counseled a lot of people. And I've counseled a lot of people who are committed Sunday attenders and committed to their faith, but their belief in Jesus stops with their belief in Jesus. Meaning, people who believe all the right stuff, but that belief has never permeated their entire being. And the transforming power of Christ is held impotent in their lives, Because the power of Christ is never allowed to access the sickness and the disease within. And instead of allowing Christ to transform us, I'll look at my spouse and blame my issues on them. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in counseling sessions, and it is always he said, she said, he said, she said, and the reality of it is, and I've started telling people this, the reality of it is, is there are two unhealthy hearts that have come into marriage, and now you have one huge, slightly irregular marriage. And the only hope is that two individuals start to become healthy. You don't have to be perfect, right? It's a a journey. We're all on a journey. But when hearts begin to become comfortable, and I've seen it time and time again, when hearts begin to uh, become healthy and We place ourselves on the altar and Jesus begins to transform us. When there are two hearts that are being transformed, suddenly, suddenly, the marriage remarkably starts to get better because two individuals are being transformed. And you cannot be transformed and continue to live In a lifestyle, a selfish lifestyle, inwardly focused. And suddenly, as God begins to transform your heart, you begin to look at the needs of your spouse. They begin to look at the needs that you need. And suddenly, the marriage is a byproduct of two healthy individuals. And too many times I see in couples counseling the the attack that goes on. But the reality, the, 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 the foundation of the problem is that we're all sick. And we have not allowed Jesus to begin to transform the sickness that lies within. Let me close with this thought. Your ability, my ability to stay in love, your ability to experience and create a happy marriage, has as much to do with the condition of your heart as it does with the behavior of your spouse. And that's just a reality. And so, where you can start, where I can start, is beginning to ask God to look within. Point out anything in me that is not pleasing. Hey, look, just, I'd rather God expose it now than expose it when I stand before him, right? I'd rather him expose it now so I have an opportunity to repent and, and, and make it right than stand before it and say, oh my goodness, this is, you know. So to ask, just start to expose. Forget about pointing out your spouse's flaws. Just start to ask him to expose yours. Place yourself on the altar. Start to say, all right, I'm completely surrendered. Start to transform me. Start to make me into 2 Corinthians 10, right? A new creature, old things pass away, new things have come. Just Let's not just do that in salvation, but through sanctification, right? That it's continual. And you will begin to see relationships in your life. Any relationship will begin to change when you look inward first and outward second. So here's what I want to do to close. Uh, I'd like to pray for our married couples. And I'm going to ask that you would be bold enough uh, to just come up to the front and fill up this space, and I'm going to pray for our hearts, mine included, uh, because here's what Solomon tells us at the end. You can come on up if you would, please. Solomon tells us this, to guard your heart among all else. Solomon says, listen, listen, guard your heart. The Bible talks about the center of our being. Often biblical text talks about the heart resemb- uh Uh, representing emotion, intelligence, tone, and quality of one character. And Solomon says, listen, the, the wellspring of your life is your heart. And here's what he's saying, that if your heart is polluted, everything downstream will suffer. Sometimes our marriages are suffering because our heart is polluted. And it's just downstream, right, with every other relationship. And we live in a culture today where we'll protect everything but our hearts. And Solomon says, listen, and he just got done saying a bunch of good stuff. He said, above all, you must guard your heart. Everything else I told you is good, but this is paramount. Guard your heart. Because if your heart is polluted, everything downstream becomes toxic. So today, I just want to pray that your heart can be guarded. And that in that process, you begin to ask God, put me under the microscope. Tell me what it is. And I will begin to allow Jesus to walk into those parts of my life and begin to massage, begin to change, begin to mold, and begin to transform. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for our marriages in this church and I want to take a bold step to say that there would be, among all of our marriages here, that there would not be one divorce that would occur. I want to take a bold step and have a bold ask and a bold prayer to say that not one would end in divorce. And I pray for your blessing to be upon every person, each couple here, And that blessing comes in a way that maybe we don't necessarily realize, but that blessing comes as you begin to walk into the parts of our lives and begin to transform and begin to change us. And I speak that over each person. Allow the Holy Spirit access to point out the areas in your life and my life that are sick and broken. And when you begin to present yourself in a prayer to say, come in and change me. Maybe today, for some of you, you're on rocks. Maybe today is your reset, but it's not just a reset as things have moving forward as they've always been, but it's a reset where you begin to look inwardly first and you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to transform you. Guard your heart guard your heart I bless you with a marriage that is fruitful and full of passion and trust and laughter I bless you in that to step into all that God has for you and may the goodness of our great God and Savior follow you May his face continually shine upon you and his love be very near to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I appreciate you coming up and receiving prayer. Hey, if we can help at all, let us know. We'll continue the series next week. If you need any prayer, uh, come on up. I'll be leading worship next week. I look forward to seeing you guys back here. God bless you.